Describing the Christian life in military terms, here's Pastor Ed Ray. You joined an army, a Salvation Army, of course, where they get the name. The ministry of sharing with others the good news. And there's opposition. There's spiritual warfare. It happened to you this week. There was a spiritual battle taking place to divert your attention, to get you to stumble, to feel inadequate, to shut up, to not tell people about God, and to not act like a believer. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed, and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your love. It's been well said that the Christian life is not a playground but a battleground. And since that's true, we'll want to be on the alert and ready to engage in the fight. Now, of course, we fight with the gospel of peace and by loving our enemy, which requires great grace. Thankfully, God gives us the grace we need for the service we're each called to. And that's our focus today on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We want to say hello and welcome, 2 Timothy chapter 2, describes the grace that God gives to be His children, to be stewards, and to be like soldiers. We pick up today in chapter 2, verse 2, with Pastor Ed reminding us we can have confidence in the message we're stewards of. We're studying what Jesus taught because we have the privilege of Paul's very words, the words that he wrote to Timothy. So here's this succession of the message. Now, some denominations, I grew up in a church that taught apostolic succession, that you could look at each man that came from a certain apostle and worked their way all the way up to somebody today. I don't believe you can prove that. In fact, I'm quite sure you can if you look at history. However, there is a different kind of succession, and it is demonstrated in the terms of message that is preached. You are hearing, to the best of my ability, the message that Jesus taught, that Paul learned being with Jesus in Saudi Arabia for 14 years, and then he brought it to these young men, particularly Timothy, we'll see Titus, another young man, the next book we're coming to. And so we're just part of a long string of truth, and that's why we study the Word. It's not my opinion, it's what God has recorded for us. And you check out everything I say, and if it's not quite right, you come and tell me. And many of you are very qualified to do that. I've heard from a lot of you. Thank you for that. There's a faithfulness here for the people that you share it with. Not clever, not orators, not people with natural ability to lead, not the most intelligent, but in fact, those who will be trustworthy, faithful when we're gone, they'll continue on. Someone said that we're only one generation from the gospel failing. If you don't share it, I don't share it, then it won't go on. Of course, the Holy Spirit is making sure that it goes on. I was reading about one of those this week. Peter Kennedy wrote of of a doctor missionary, a major general in the British Army at the end of World War II, went back to the area that he had been serving in North Africa. His name was Dr. Kenneth Frazier, a teacher, a pastor, a medical doctor, decorated soldier, 
and he decided to become a missionary as he had retired from the British military. So he chose a, a people called the Moru people. You don't know that name, but you know where they are. They're in the Sudan, and he went there in 1920, and he began to standardize medicine in southern Sudan, and he began to set up dispensaries, little first aid stations, every 15 miles across the Sudan in the south. He put a dispensary that was also a church, that was also a place for people to come to sleep, and it impacted several generations. He established schools and churches all over Mori land, 15 miles apart, centers and dispensaries. These centers served the hospital at Luai. The doctor also organized leper colonies in the area and a university. Because he endured the hardships of Sudan today, there are over 300,000 Moru Christians. Many believers are a result of the foundations laid by Dr. Fraser, and will tell you so if you ask them. They have remained steadfast Christians, even under persecution by the Muslim government of the Sudan. So you never know when you're planting seeds how it might impact future generations. Almost a hundred years later, there are a third of a million Christians in the Sudan, and you hear about them all the time, because one man went with his wife and shared the gospel. So he's a good steward. Child of God, second verse, a steward, three and four, a soldier. Verse three, you therefore, Timothy, you, all of us listening, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Suffering, another translation says. Endure suffering along with me, another translation says. So, a soldier of the cross, of which you are, if you've surrendered your life to God, you joined an army, a salvation army, of course, where they get the name. The ministry of sharing with others the good news. And there's opposition. There's spiritual warfare. It happened to you this week if you were trying to do what God asked you to do. There was a spiritual battle taking place to divert your attention, to get you to stumble, to feel inadequate, to shut up, to not tell people about God, and uh, to not act like a believer. And Paul has been teaching that it happens to every person. But you have weapons. God has given you the weapon of prayer. The weapons of our warfare, he said, are not physical. They are spiritual for tearing down spiritual strongholds in other people, in organizations, in countries, in governments, in administrations, whatever it is that you and I are involved in. God has given you the power, the dudumas power in grace, to change spiritual conditions in other people. What a great privilege God has given to us. So your part as a soldier of a battle that goes on constantly, and our worth as soldiers are determined by how we do in the battles, whether we're useful to God, and sometimes he has to bench us because we're just so beat up we need a rest. That's okay, but don't expect to live there. God's going to pull you off the bench and put you back in the game, and he wants you to face hardships for Christ. 
Difficulties are a normal thing in Christianity. Expect it to happen. You will not be disappointed if you expect it to happen. Some of you are going, yeah, thanks. I got a little more than I can handle already, Pastor. All right, soldiers, verse 4. No one engages in this warfare, and Paul uses the picture of the Roman legions, entangles himself or herself with the affairs of this life, that he or she may please him who enlisted them as a soldier. Okay, first thing you know that in the Roman legions, the, your commanding officer also was the recruiter. He saw you working in a field for your dad or doing something, and he went to you and recruited you. You need to come in. You'll enjoy it. It'll be a lot of fun. And six months later, it's not a lot of fun, and you're marching in the rain, and you want to complain, you go talk to your commander. So the picture is of the one who brought you in is the one that you are responsible to. Do not be entangled. And, and that's the operative word here. Every one of us needs downtime. He's not talking about your hobbies. He's not talking about your responsibilities in life to your boss, to your marriage, to your family. He's talking about those things that will entangle you, ensnare you, trip you up, because they suck you in and they become often idols in your life. So he's saying there are things in this life that are attractive to you that you need to say no to for your own spiritual well-being. That's part of maturity. Now, we can't be double-minded, is the way James said it, caught between two opinions, one foot in one world and another foot in the other world, James 1.6. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind, for let not that person expect that they will receive from the Lord. Being a double-minded person is unstable in all your ways and you'll find yourself not fully committed to one or the other. So there are things that you and I need to jettison from our lives. Some call it baggage. Baggage that holds you back spiritually from becoming everything God wants you to be, to be as effective as God wants you to be so that you'll have that feeling of significance and accomplishment and pleasing your commanding officer. Paul is saying here, travel light. You'll get a lot further with a lot less effort. I was reading about an old Civil War story that's a great illustration of this. A man who was a watchmaker in, the, in 1861 who was with the Union Army, they were stuck in one place for a long time, and, and guys started bringing all their, you know, old pocket watches to him, and he's fixing them, and he's really into it. And then all of a sudden, one morning, he hears the bugler bugling that they're supposed to leave. They were headed towards the Battle of Bull Run, although none of them knew that. He went to his sergeant, and he said, Sergeant, I can't go. I've got a dozen watches that I'm working on. Sergeant said, leave them. And that's really what Jesus is talking about to you and I, that we need to set aside the baggage, the luggage that will hold us back from serving him. Pastor Ed Ray challenging us to be good soldiers. And this is Grow in Grace. Now with our next picture of grace from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Here again is Pastor Ed. The next one is an athlete. Okay, some of you I see here are athletes. 
We've got guys involved in Ironman and bicycling, swimming, running, all that. I'm suspicious of people that do that because I know the big one is in Kona, Hawaii, one of the most beautiful places in the earth. So I don't think it's all about the running. I think it's more about hanging out in Hawaii. But you know athletics, you don't just decide to do it. You're not going to run a marathon tomorrow if you've not been training. If you do, you won't get a mile. So the picture here is of effort, determination needed to compete successfully by the rules that you live within, the discipline. Now, Paul is probably thinking about the Olympics. He's already used the illustration we've seen of wrestling and of running. And certainly, uh, it's easy within running. You've got to stay within the lines in your race. You've got to do it by the rules. Or if you finish and win, you won't win. You'll be denied the prize. It must be 100%. Back in the Summer Olympics, 1968, in Mexico City, uh, there was an interesting race. The marathon for the first time was run with a gold, silver, and bronze medal. And people from all over the world came. And the television crew thought everyone would run in together, like the other races, of course. But in the marathon, 27 miles, you get spread out really far. And they're there uh, two hours later, and there's still one guy still out on the course. Everyone else is coming, and they're standing around, they're going to other shots and other events that are going on. And finally, this guy comes in, and he's limping, he's all beat up, and, and uh, he's from Tanzania. First time a Tanzanian had come to compete in this. And when he gets up to the finish line, he's criticized by the announcer. He said, well, why didn't he just step out and get some medical attention and ride back in the truck? And the man said, I came 5,000 miles for my country. Many people sacrificed to send me to this race, and I intended to finish it. I didn't come just to compete, but to finish the race. Now, that's a picture that all of us need to embrace, that God wants us to finish the race and stay within the lines, and he'll get us there by his own power. Verse 6, next illustration, a farmer. A hard-working farmer must be first to partake of the crops. So the picture here is of a man who plants seed. Jesus talked a lot about that. When you're farming, you put a lot of effort into the ground before you can plant any seeds. And that was Jesus' picture for sharing the good news with other people. And then you throw the seed in the ground, and it's like throwing it away because it gets covered. And oftentimes, it'll sit there for a really long time, especially in dry land farming without irrigation. And so you throw the seed out. What's the seed? The seed is the Word of God. You and I are casting it around. We're supposed to be throwing it out. The part that's frustrating is often we don't see any results coming. Some of you have children you've been praying for, and grandchildren. Some of you have parents. Some of you have spouses you're praying for. Some of you have a grandparent that's getting up there, and you've been praying for them. Prayed with a, a woman uh, like that just after the last service that all of us should have people in our lives that we've been putting seed in and then watering along the way. And sometimes it takes a long time for anything to come up from it. Expect your faith to grow along with the seed that you plant. That's what's going on here. And someday it will reap. You may not live to see it. In other words, it might be that you're child is going to come to the Lord later, but you keep praying in faith like a farmer and expect to partake. Well, how will you partake, he says, to enjoy the fruit 
in heaven. When your kid comes up and says, Mom, so thankful you kept telling me about Jesus. I know I was ugly and hard to be around, but you keep saying it. Mom, keep saying it, all right? A mother's words have a lasting quality like no one else on the planet. It's not that guys, dads don't have some impact, but moms. I got stuff up here my mom said to me a gazillion years ago. And it's not all good, but most of it is. <laughs> and it impacted me. And, and so don't give up, mom. Keep planting the seed. Last picture. Son, steward, soldier, athlete, farmer, thinker. Interesting one. Verse 7, consider, think on, over and over again. Clear perception after constant meditation, one translation says, what I say. And may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Now, Paul says, consider the things I've said. Go back, study it, look at it, put it over and over again in your mind, and it will impact your whole life, all things. You see... Having a correct perception of truth has made this nation impact the world like few others. And I'm not going to give you wrap myself in the flag thing. There's a simple truth here that, in fact, launches things that impact the good of the world. Let me say it another way. Inventions, patents, Nobel Prizes. The majority come from cultures that have embraced God's Word. That's what Timothy is being told by Paul, and you and I should see it too. There is a cause and effect relationship. God built this world. He put natural law into effect, and it's there to be mined. What? It's there to be thought about, and the truth pulled out for the betterment of the world. Now, the word here is literally aha moments. Sunesis is the Greek word for understanding. It means flowing together with information you already had. All of a sudden, two things come together that have never been put together in your brain before, and you go, ah, I understand it. Had it happened many times working in science for years, and I was a biochemist for a number of years, and working in research facilities, I'd be trying to understand something, and boom, the light would go on. My response was, thank you, Jesus, because I had the foundation in truth that there's a causal relationship for everything in the world, and it helps you to understand how things work. So, an example. Francis Collins, some of you may know the name. He was the past director of the Human Genome Project. He is now the director of the National Institute of Health. He is a believer, a very strong believer. He's a Christian. He is a physician, an MD, and he is also a PhD in biochemistry. And I've watched his work, and he headed up the 1,100 labs that sequenced the human genome. Okay, a little background on the human genome. You have within you chromosome. We all know about DNA, at least we've heard the, the name. But it's an amazing thing in every single cell in your body except red blood cells. Every cell with the nucleus has DNA in it, your DNA, completely unique, right, from everybody else. So he headed up this project that came in under budget and a year earlier than they thought they would. And in the process, they discovered amazing things. You have in each cell DNA that, if stretched out, is more than six foot long above my head. A single 
center nucleus of a cell, 23 chromosomes, 46 total, and if it was stretched out in one long string, it'd be more than six foot long. You can take all the DNA from your one times 10 to the 13th power, your 100 trillion cells, you can take all the DNA of your body and put it in a single small ice cube tray in one little compartment. But if you string it end to end, it would reach from Earth to Pluto and back, just your DNA. So we have this huge amount of information. It's your program. It's how your, you, the computer, runs. So they're taking this apart. And Collins is this believer who's run a little side lab because he's trying to understand the things that they're discovering. Three billion base pairs in a human genome. And he begins to pray and ask God to show him, and he discovered the genome for Huntington's disease and five other diseases. And in the process of heading up this giant research project, he does a little side project, and God shows him things because he submitted to God and because he believes in God. When he was questioned about it by a newspaper reporter who was sorry he asked after he got this answer, what are the positive aspects of this genetic research? He said, well, we have caught the first glimpse of our instruction book previously known only to God. Made the atheist spitting mad, and I loved it. <laughs> known only to God, the Creator. But he's revealing that we might understand things to the benefit of all of us. Okay, so we have this picture here that Paul is telling this young man from prison that he's to be all these things, as you are, in fact, all those things. Do not get discouraged. I've got a great illustration. I'm reading a book this week, Philip Reitkin. He's the president of Wheaton College. And the story is about the oldest known convert. The guy's name is Luke Short. And um, sometimes faithful ministry sharing takes longer than you'd think. So he was converted at the tender age of 103. Here's the story. Short was sitting under a hedge in Virginia when he suddenly remembered a sermon he had once heard preached by a well-known Puritan pastor named John Flavel. As Mr. Short recalled the sermon, he was convicted of his sin, and he asked God to forgive his sins right then and there through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and he was radically saved. Short lived for three more years as a believer, and then he died, and on his tombstone is written, Luke Short, here lies a babe in grace, age three years, only three years old in the Lord, who died according to nature, 106. So, remarkable story, but here's the real catcher. The sermon that Mr. Short remembered had been preached 85 years earlier when he was a young man back in England. It took almost 100 years for it to sink in. So those of you that are struggling with people that you love and are praying for, it might take longer than you're thinking, but God will be faithful and you will see it in eternity. Pastor Ed Ray encouraging us to keep praying as you patiently wait for the coming harvest. Today on Grow in Grace, we heard a portion of Pastor Ed's study in 2 Timothy, 
And you can hear it again at thepackinghouse.org. For a CD copy of today's message, call 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. And look for us on iTunes as well. We can hook you up with many more resources to help you grow in grace when you visit thepackinghouse.org, like Pastor Ed's devotional. Speaking of resources, today we'd like to make special mention of Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, authored by renowned surgeon Dr. Paul Brand and Philip Yancey. Together they explore the human body and uncover statements that God has made about our bodies. They point out that the human body is like a window into the very structure of God's creation and a testament to God's glory. This month, we'll send this to those of you who support Grow in Grace with a donation of any amount. You might think of it as our way of saying thanks. Please remember that your gifts help us to bring Pastor Ed's teachings to the radio every day. To make a year-end contribution, go online at thepackinghouse.org or call 844-77-GRACE. Well, next Monday is Christmas, and we have a special message to share with you from Luke chapter 2. Merry Christmas from all of us at Grow in Grace, and we'll catch you back here on Christmas Day. This program is brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands. Son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, Let this world know me by your.